After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Potter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus of, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning. It is uh, great to see you all here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, I want to especially thank Christina there for reading that uh, passage with all those difficult-to-pronounce words, so I don't have to. So that was very nice of you to do that, Christina. Um, If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, um, just a heads up before we get into our time together in God's Word, I have a a speech impediment. And so I just want to make sure that you all know what that is so you're not trying to figure it out as we go along through our time together. And um, we uh, have a lot to cover this morning. We are in Acts chapter 20. So if you'll go ahead and turn with me there in your Bibles to, again, Acts chapter 20. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Okay, we want to make sure you have a Bible that you can read and follow along with, um, especially as we cover a ton this morning. Um, También si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo uh, a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 20. So um, again, want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and follow along with and understand and make their own. And if you don't own one, please do keep, keep this. And uh, again, we have a ton to cover. We're going to be in the whole chapter this morning, chapter 20. And um, as I said, I have a speech impediment, so that's just messed up when we got to cover that much ground together, okay? So give me, give me grace, amen? And if I say amen and you don't answer, I may say, did I stutter? And you can <laughs> just, uh, I grew up with three older brothers, so I learned how to make fun of myself. A little bit. Um, so let me let me give us some handlebars as we're going to walk through this time together. Because again, there's a ton to cover. If you're a note taker, um, okay, this is a good one for that. But I'm going to keep it pretty pretty organized as we go. But again, there's a lot. So just a heads up. Get you know do some exercises there in your fingers. Um, be prepared. And if not, just this is kind of where we're heading as we walk through this uh, section together. So we see that God's Good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ awakens and orients and protects and compels God's people. So those are kind of the four sections we'll be walking through. You can again see it there, um, awakening and orienting and protecting and compelling God's people. And again, we'll have some even subtopics and subpoints in there um, with that. So let's, let's pray again together and ask the Holy Spirit to oversee our time as we acknowledge that we desperately need him to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts 
to see and respond rightly to the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Again, Father, we come before you in light of the truth that this is your world. And we need you on an individual level in our families, in our homes, in our community, in our country. In this world, again, we're all the more aware of how far we fall short of your goodness and your glory. And yet, I pray that the hope and the reality of the person and work, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus would inform and shape us all this morning. And uh, I pray, too, that we would all be present, that you would enable us to see, to not, not turn a blind eye to the brokenness in the world or in our own lives, Lord, to not feel the need to put on a mask or pretend it's not there, but that we will see how you entered into the brokenness and bring hope and perspective and restoration and reconciliation in and through the person of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, picking up right with me there in verse 1, um, because we just read through that, I, I'm not going to read through that uh, word by word. We have been walking through Acts. Again, if you're, if you're new or you, or you just kind of been here, you know, here and there, we've been in the book of Acts throughout this whole year, and we'd love to spend time in books of the Bible, whole books of the Bible, and we, and we um, have been shaped by that. And we think that, that it's not just information, but transformation uh, through ongoing submitting ourselves to the Scriptures. And so where we are, as you see there, is that they were just in um, Ephesus, and there was an uproar there, and there was a big riot uh, chaos ensued, and, 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 they, and they left from there. And now the, the next part there gives these names and things. And we're going to find this in one other place as we walk through this this morning, is it's kind of a travel log, if you will, that Luke, the author here, kind of gives an update of where they've been and where they're headed and what's going on. And, and, and he gives kind of an update. Or if any, like, Trekkies in here, if, if you, you don't want to raise your hand and acknowledge that, that's okay. Um, I was thinking that like a captain's log, okay? Like if you remember most of these, it began with like a captain's log and a little update. And I'm doing this because this, I talk about sports and other things a ton. This is probably the la first and last time I'll ever mention Star Trek. So for the couple of you that that would bless, there you go. But that's sort of what this is. It's like uh, an update of what's been happening as they're traveling. And it's not just kind of history and this, but it, it's to help us to see that, that the, the real work of God, the very present uh, movement of the gospel going forward in the church being planted, God's people formed and shaped and sent and dispersed, again, all in light of the good news of Jesus, that that's what's been happening. And here, when we just read through, oh, and this person came and that person came and we went from here to there, as we'll see, um, make a mental note of this, that, that it's an opportunity to see a sovereign, powerful God leading his people and carrying out his mission in seemingly mundane ways, that it goes, oh, we happen to be traveling here, and then we happen to find out that, that, the, that the, there was a, a plot made against Paul by the Jews, and so he walked through Macedonia, and all these different things lead up to different events. 
including, now picking up in verse 7, a, a, a time of worship, of coming together and taking communion, and, 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 and God um, shaping his people and even awakening, and that's a little bit of a plan words as you'll see here, awakening his people through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So I'm going to just read verses 7 through 12 here together. On the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for this life, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. They were very comforted. So it's okay to kind of chuckle here and to wonder what's going on. And there's a couple points I want to make. First of all, I'm not alone, okay? If you've ever complained about the length of these sermons, it could be worse, all right? And, um, but there's, again, I mentioned here, the gospel awakens God's people. And there's, again, a little bit of a play on words here. And um, this guy is not just a punchline to someone for us to kind of make fun of. Or There have been books written about this guy and about, you know, falling asleep in church. And as I read different commentaries and different things, there was a ton of stuff written about, about this, about Oh, you know, don't fall asleep in church or here's what, you know, all these different things. And I'll just say, that's not the point. Okay, the point is not to wag my finger. Um, I'll be straight up with you. I have fallen asleep in church a number of times. And that's why I became a pastor. why I think why God called me to preach, because I can't do that, at least so far, while preaching. That'd be, that'd be pretty impressive, though, if it could happen that way. But, you know, we all have different stuff. I remember I had my oldest three kids are triplets, and I was an elder at a church um, when they were young, and I was serving there, and I would often be in, like, the first or second row, and I would doze off, and the pastor, but he also had young kids. We'd joke and talk about it, and, you know. Um, I, there are a couple people in here. One time I was at their house sitting down. We were watching a mo movie, and I was holding a drink in my hand, and I fell asleep, and did one of those, like, you know, like, dreamt you're falling or whatever, and literally spilled the drink all over me, all over the couch. Um, there's some humor, and it's okay, right? Let me just pastor you for a moment. If the best thing for you is what you need to be, to be edifying and growing in your faith is to, you know, take a nap in this time, like, I'm okay with that, all right? I probably won't look at you because I look at the people that are, you know, tracking, but... Um, Hey, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm okay with that. If you're snoring, maybe I'll call you out or someone can pinch you or something. Just for fun, again, we don't have time for too much of this, but um, another one of the commentaries I read I just thought was funny. He was sharing, because I think most pastors kind of, you know, can stand in solidarity with this. And he said that one of the guys in, in, in his church, an elder, was in one of the first two rows and started to fall asleep while he was preaching. And he said that the guy's wife kind of noticed him what looking and elbowed her husband. And he instantly jumped up and started giving the benediction, which I just think is amazing. <laughs> this old guy just sitting there and his wife elbows him mid-sermon, stands up, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And <laughs> this, that would be funny. 
so again, why would this, though, be in here? Why would, why would we see this story told? Is it just for funny? Is it just for fun? Is it to make fun of this guy? Who, by the way, again, in God's sense of humor, his name literally means fortunate or lucky. Yeah, you, that, that's fitting, right? You fall out of a third-story window during a sermon, and you don't die because of it. You're lucky and fortunate. But why would it be here? Um, because the church was consistently wondering, how does this new, seemingly new movement of Christ this gospel that we're hearing about, this gospel that's shaping our life. What does it look like? How does it, how does it play out in the seemingly big, the seemingly difficult, the ups and downs, in the everyday, everyday happenings of life? What, what's going on here? And, and, and there would be a question of, is God powerful? Is God good? Um, does, does this thing, is it, is it brand new? Because they were really skeptical of new stuff in their day. And, and the consistent theme throughout Acts is, no, this seemingly new thing is actually really, really old. The sovereign God of the Bible, from the very beginning, the one who created all things in and through and for the glorification, the glory of Jesus to be known, that that, that same God who is overseeing all things came and entered into the brokenness and the mess of the world. And he sent his son Jesus as we've already talked about this morning, to make sense of and make new and and restore people in their their identity and their purpose with God, their creator. That same God is the one who's overseeing this movement. And this is brought in here because the church needed to be reminded and, 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 and informed of his power. And you see that on display here, his care, right? He's not wagging his finger, shame on you, falling asleep in church. You know, you, yeah, that's what you get, you know? And sometimes we, we think of God that way, right? And we think he's just up there kind of, you know, kind of shaking his head like he's like the Santa Claus, you know, with a naughty and nice list and, the, and, he's, and he's trite. And, 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 and first of all, just to help us understand a little bit here is, again, I, I mentioned Sunday was the first day of the week. That was not the Sabbath, okay? He wasn't like staying up late on Saturday night and then just dozing off in church on Sunday morning or whatever. This is, this is in the evening time. He, he worked a hard day's work that the people worked already, but they come together and they break bread and they observe communion because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, not on the Sabbath, which is sundown on Friday to um, uh, sundown on Saturday, but they observe it here together on Sunday morning because that's, that's the first day of the week. That's when Jesus rose from the dead. So again, just helping us understand even some of the Greek verbs here. It's just helpful for us to not have a historical bias and arrogance and look down our noses and just say, oh, you know, whatever. But to understand what's really going on here, even the fact that the, these, you know, torches are lit. They're in the, he's up there. It's, it's, it's smoky and hazy. They're in, the, they're in Greece, right? And it's, it's in a place where they would, it'd be hot and sticky. And, and even the Greek verbs use are that he was slowly overcome by sleepiness, right? You know that feeling, right? You're in class, in a lecture, wherever, and you got the head bob going, and you're fighting it as best you can, and you're pinching yourself, and whatever, and that's what's going on here. So again, let's not just settle for little silly, don't fall asleep in church kind of deal. 
In fact, um, uh, this, this one commentator and uh, incredibly helpful person, Kent Hughes, wrote this that I think is very helpful for us. He says, falling asleep in church really does not concern me. It can happen for any number of reasons, both good and bad. What concerns me are the thousands who warm a pew every Lord's Day with their bodies awake and their souls asleep. Let us not grow numb to the gospel. Let us not grow inoculated to the good news of Jesus as we, as we go through this liturgical order every week and we're reminded and we're called to worship and, and, and then we, we um, enter into a time of confession and an assurance of grace and we pass the peace and then we hear the gospel and then we enter into a time of response. We come before his table and we remember that, that, that who we are and what we do is shaped and informed by his gospel. And then we are sent out every week, the benediction, the sending out of God's people in response to the good news of Jesus. And we do that every week. And let us not grow numb. Let us not slumber. Let us not sit here and think, oh, I'm here, right? That's good. That's, I'm, 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 I'm an American, therefore I'm Christian. And just listen to these surface level things. No, we need to press in and, and say, do I, do I rightly understand the person? person and work of Jesus? Is my life informed and shaped by who he is and what he's done? And so we see here, and this is written in here, that, that so that the church, the audience that would be reading this can see that God is powerful and present and caring and healing and at work, and he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. God and his gospel awakens his people. Amen? And now as we shift gears, we get into another captain's log there, another little, little update in verse 13 down there. And, and, and again, and I, I don't have time to walk through every part of it, but again, they're on a particular trajectory. They're going a certain way and seemingly unforeseen parts of life, right? A flat tire, someone's trying to kill you, right? You've got persecution, whatever it might be. In their day, right? They're not in a car, obviously, but these seemingly unimportant hiccups, God is using and directing his people to come to certain places. And they, and they end up in... A particular place, uh, verse 15, you see there, they, on that day after we went to Miletus, and there Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible. Okay, he'd already spent two years there. He's trying to not stop there and get held up again. But, so they stopped there. And then it says, though, verse 17, now from Miletus, he went to Ephesus, or he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said, to them. And then he goes on to this whole next part where Paul goes on a speech. So now picture with me, okay, this is really important that we engage, okay, look at me, that we engage our emotions and we understand what's going on here. It would be akin to, we're here in Tucson and someone's coming through, through Phoenix and says, I've got a layover. Come the, 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 the leaders of this place that I've poured my heart into, Right, that I've been in, that I've been a part of a riot, that we've seen miracles happening, we've seen the church forming and shaping. You leaders, come spend some time with me because I want to, I want to, I want to pour into you. And this is Paul's on a journey now from here on out as we walk through Acts. He's essentially moving toward 
his arrest, his imprisonment, and eventually his own death. And this is the first of many goodbyes, tearful, emotional, heartfelt goodbyes that we'll see Paul walking through as he's on this journey to Jerusalem. And there's a lot more to happen, okay, as we've got six more chapters or eight more chapters to, um, you know, walk through. We'll see all kinds of different things happening. But again, there's a turn here. And there's emotion. So now Paul is looking at people that are, are like his children, like his family, and he's pouring into them. He's saying, listen to me. Be shaped by the gospel of Jesus. Be shaped, be oriented. Be protected, be compelled in all that you do and you're lying down and you're standing up and you're coming in every part of your life. Let the gospel shape you, okay? So that's what's going on here. This is emotional and heartfelt. It's, it's similar to this. You're at a wedding or a funeral and it's a time to think about life. When I officiate a wedding, I've got a few different people I've been blessed and honored to officiate their wedding here today. And and, and I'll say, you know, it's not about this day. It's not about the first day of your marriage. It's about the last day. And and what's going to happen every day in between that leads you up to ending well? Highs and lows, difficulty, struggle. Again, at a funeral, there's, there's this reality that you, you can't help but, but consider. And I know there have been many, tragically, funerals that have affected a lot of us in this room here, even recently. And I know a number of them, it, we've had an opportunity of, though it's difficult and it's tragic, you can, you can remember, you can reflect. And, and it's often, someone once said, I uh, heard a quote of someone saying, it's usually the last words that people remember. Again, how, how did you end? I'm now 15 years into ma- marriage, and it's, it's gone by so quickly, and I think back to how much has changed in, in, the, in that time, and yet uh, what often motivates me and what, what sometimes forces my wife and, and I to move into the really difficult conversations is considering how, how do we want to end this thing and what, what needs to happen now. So with that kind of heart, for these people, Paul begins, and he now shares how the gospel has oriented him. He walks through, um, he walks through four, four priorities, four life-orienting priorities of, of the gospel shaping him. And so I'm just going to walk through these, picking up in verse 18. You first see priority number one, a commitment to God and to his people, Paul says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, through through highs and lows, in in rainstorms, in sleet, in snow, in sweltering heat, wherever it might be, you see a commitment to God and to his people. And as Paul is commissioning these people and about to send them back to to help lead the church in Ephesus, he's saying, prioritize a commitment to God and to his people. And this always comes in response to God's commitment. As you see, the commitment of God in Jesus staying true, holding firm, so too, Paul is saying, I have remained committed to God and to his people. And you see that, and you saw that in my ministry. So now you too be committed 
Not like, you know, baseball players or swimmers or whatever when, you know, there's a lightning storm or a little bit of rain, but like, you know, football players, rugby players, you know, soccer, wherever, rugby, that's every chance I get, I'll kind of squeeze that in there, right? Whatever you can, but you see like certain things where it's like, whatever the weather's doing, I'm committed. That kind of thing, that kind of idea here, he's, he's saying in difficulty, and again, he's using language here that would, that would in, in, invoke emotion, and they would see, yeah, it hasn't always been easy, but there's a consistency, a commitment. And then in verse 21, the second priority is a commitment to sharing the gospel, Right? He says, I, I was with you teaching in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's been a commitment to God and to his people and an unwavering commitment to proclaiming, to speaking, to declaring the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then he goes on and there is a commitment to self-sacrifice in verse 22. And this is kind of a, a hinge point here, okay? So really pressing here. You see a commitment to self-sacrifice. It says here, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Again, hear that, hear the language there, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's a life verse right there. Okay, let me read it again. If you have a Bible, underline it. Circle this. Verse 24. This is like Paul declaring what shapes his whole life. What is it? Like when you, again, when you think about your funeral or, or a wedding or some kind of like, like I'm, I'm, this, is, this is a foundational moment now where I'm going to build upon this. What, what is it? What's driving you? What's the gas in your, in your tank? Well, Paul lays it out here again in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, which is what? What do you do? What do you say? How do you live your life? How do you relate with other people? How do you engage your marriage? How do you raise your kids? What is it? What does it look like? What do you do, right? There's all these questions, and you're like, yeah, that's why I'm here. You know, tell me. Give me an answer. Well, here it is. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To be shaped by the person and work of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and the sending of his Holy Spirit, and the ascension and the promise of the return of Jesus to restore all things. The whole gospel, the fullness of the gospel, not just the ABCs, not just these, but the whole, the whole enchilada, all right? That's contextualized here for Tucson. Okay, the, the, whole, the whole story of God's goodness and his character displayed in and through the person and work of Jesus. And Paul says, I, I've given my life to that. And because Jesus laid his life down and his grace is abundantly clear, so I can now do the same. A commitment to God and to his people. A commitment to sharing the good news of Jesus in demonstration right, through everyday life, and in proclamation, and a commitment to self-sacrifice in response to the sacrificial love 
of Jesus. And then and they, his last priority here that you see, his last life-orienting priority is a commitment to ending well, verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And and this is acknowledging Paul came under critique. A lot of people made fun of him. A lot of people called him out and tried 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 to tear him down and all this different stuff. And he essentially says, hey, I sleep well at night. And I'm going to end my life well. Because I know that I've remained committed. I know that the gospel has shaped me, has led me, has fueled me in everything that I've done. And so there's this sense of knowing, yeah, whenever it is that I die, I know that I'll have ended well. Because every day has been informed and shaped by the gospel. Again, the gospel awakens God's people and the gospel orients God's people. Okay, one uh, author and pastor and all this stuff, theologian Tim Keller, uh, talks about this. And earlier I said it's not the ABCs of the gospel, but the A to Z. And there's this incredible picture that I get in my mind of, and that he uh, talks about is like a hub of a wheel. Okay, if you could picture a wheel. And it's like saying the gospel, okay, do you get what we've been talking about, the fullness of the gospel. All of life is all for Jesus because all of life is all through Jesus, okay, the gospel. That you picture, that's the hub of wheel. You never get away from it. Every, it's like a spoke. Every other part of, of that wheel, if you focus on that, if you take out the gospel, the wheel collapses in on itself. It can't continue. It can't sustain. That's what it means to be oriented by the gospel. One man who some of you may have heard of and some of you maybe not, named Jim Elliott, who prophetically uh, said a number of things that are profound and shaping. He ended up dying at a very young age. age, I think it was 28, 27, or 28 years old. He had one child. He was newly married. He, He was off to give his life for the gospel, again, in response to Christ's giving of himself. And, and, and he said something incredibly helpful. He says, when it comes time to die, make sure all you've got to do is die. There were a lot of other things he said. Some of you may have, have heard him. I was trying to come up with it, the one about he who is no fool, who gives away what he cannot keep to, I don't know if he said earn or whatever, right, to what you cannot gain. So there, there it is. I, said, I was going to not say it because I knew I didn't have it fully down. Um, note to self, don't start quotes you can't finish, right? As a small little guy, you should have learned that, right? Don't pick fights you can't finish. I never learned that one either. But, <laughs> okay, but, but, uh, uh, but, 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 but focus in here, okay? Don't, like, make sure when it comes time to die, all you have left to do is die. I mean, there are so many little practical applications of that, right? And in a convert, don't leave a conversation un, unhad, don't, don't, don't say, oh, I'll get to that one day. I'm going to build my career first, and then I'll get to that. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to provide a, a safe, financially stable home for my family right now. I'm going to work too much, and I'm going to do these things, and then I'll invest in my kids later when it really matters, when they really notice, when it really counts, and then you wake up, and it's, you know, it's too late, 
In this case, again, you see the the life-orienting truth of the gospel for Paul. He's saying, I know I've got a clear conscience because I've been shaped and informed and oriented by the gospel of Jesus. And then he jumps right into an exhortation that the gospel protects God's people. Okay, Again, the gospel awakens God's people. The gospel orients God's people. And now the gospel protects God's people. And again, kind of a a little three-part sub-breakdown. And I never do this, right? You guys know me. I never have little points and sub-points and all this. So this is a first, right? And this is, again, for the handful of you, the engineers in here that are like, finally, I can track where this is going. Um... You see three warnings, okay? Paul, Paul warns this church, again, with, with emotion. He's saying, watch out, be careful, guard yourselves against your own hearts, number one, against outsiders, number two, and then against insiders. Be protected, against your own hearts, against others, and against your very selves. And so walking through her again, just in verse 28, you see kind of in, in, in order here these, these warnings. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. All right, I don't want to scare us here, but we like, again, look at me here. Like, we have got to have humility. And, and I think the older people among us, the saints, if you will, right, the s- silver foxes among us, right, like, can attest to this. You only grow, like, my older brother who has a PhD, I don't know how that happened in coming out of my home, but my older brother who has a PhD, he, he said the more he's learned and the more degrees he's acquired, the more he recognizes that he doesn't know. And I think those of us, among, those in here who genuinely walk by faith and grow in our faith only become more and more aware of our desperate need for God's grace and our desperate daily, moment by moment, need to cling to his grace. And he says, watch out. You're, you're, we're all one bad decision away from wrecking our lives. And I don't want to soften the punch there with that reality. Yes, the gospel of God's grace is a foundation that we're never past the point until we breathe our last. We're never past the point of no return. Amen? Okay, I want to, there's always hope, there's always comfort, there's always a redemption to be had. And yet don't, don't use that as an excuse to not hear this stark warning. Watch out, guard your hearts. Parents, guard the hearts of your children. Then he says, and also watch out for outsiders. In verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Outsiders. Usually there's, elsewhere there's, there's words used of wolves, or, yeah, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, seeking to devour, wanting to come in and tear up what God's doing. Usually not so easy to spot, right? Normally not like in the old movies where you'd see the disciples and like everyone's there and looking all nice and then it zones in on Judas and he's got like a little little goatee and like slicked back hair and you're like, yeah, that, how did they not see this coming? He's like, everyone else is wearing white, that dude's wearing black, like, he's the bad guy here, and right? And we sometimes treat it, that, and that's just not reality. 
All right, there, there's a warning here that the unlikely candidates, that philosophies that come creeping in, that there's the full counsel of God's word gives warnings, like protect yourself against things that, 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 that you think are going to taste really good, but in the end are going to wreck you. Again, young people in here, like however young, junior high age, high school, however, like let me tell you, like God's word warns you that there are so many, so many tricks. There, there's, there's, there's subtle, subtle things that, again, that you think are going to taste good, like picture a sweets, picture a candy. Uh, Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 and 7, there's warning about temptation that will come that you think is going to taste good and it drips and it smells like it's going to be really good, but in the end it's, it's, it's bitter and will wreck you. He says, be careful. And, there, and it's not just outsiders. He's not saying, build up fortresses, church, right? It's like, you know, protect ourselves here and keep the world, keep the bad guys out. He says, no, there's, you could have evil well up from among you as well. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Be careful. Look out from, from your own hearts. Look out from outsiders. Be careful from inside. Okay, all of us have a flock that God has entrusted to us in some way. Just as a church on the whole here, sometimes we don't get a chance to talk about this a ton. Some of you might even wonder, why do we, what's our church structure, our ecclesiology? What do we have when we talk about having elders? Well, this is one example of why we take so seriously the call by God in forming His church and installing called and qualified men to lead and to protect and to oversee the church. Not as for selfish gain, not as a, as a position to aspire to, not the wealthiest, most effective businessmen among us, not, not the coolest or the best looking or the tallest, amen, thankfully, or whatever else it might be that are called to be the elders, but no, people who will cling to the gospel, who will take so seriously the, the charge that God has given to, to protect his, his flock, his people, parents, spouses, Teachers, employers, fellow employees, who has God entrusted to your care and called you to look out for, to protect, to take seriously the, the gift of the gospel that he's entrusted and the high call of oversight that he's given? Again, the gospel awakens and orients and protects God's people, and finally, it compels God's people. Look with me in verses 32 through 35 as we see the, 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 the compelling work of the gospel. In all these things, Paul says, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The, the very last words that Paul would utter to this church that he's cared so much about, that he's poured himself into, is quoting Jesus. 
It's better to give than to receive. In a nutshell here, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus has fully given of himself. He has laid down his life for his people. And then Paul says in response to that, I too have laid down my life. And you've seen that. You've experienced that. For two years, you've been the recipients of me laying my life down, pouring myself out for you. Now you do the same. Simply put, come follow me as I follow Jesus. So grounded in the gospel of Jesus. Again, look at me. Not being compelled by effort, not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, not, quote, trying to be a good Christian, not living these things. No, but understanding God's grace so fully. We recite this so often. What does it mean? It means that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. That when you understand that, when you understand by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that your life is so firmly grounded on God's grace, on the fullness of the gospel, that you can do no other but to pour your life out. Is that not countercultural? Okay, we're in church, right? So you're like, yeah, yeah, amen, yeah, church, churchy language. But like, hear me again, that's not normal, right? You have needs. Right? You can look at your neighbor and say, I have needs. Say, neighbor, you have needs. Okay? But now be real here. We don't usually meet our needs by just fully pouring ourselves out. Right? We think, I've got needs, right? I'm going to look out for my own. I'm going to look out for number one. I'm going to, right? Like, I, you can't be foolish, right? You got to be wise. You got you to you you look out for your own. You got to protect what you get. Like, how are you going to be safe if you just give yourself consistently? And that's reality. Pouring yourself out is scary. It's dangerous. It's It's, it's terrifying. And yet the gospel really does tell us to continually pour ourselves out, but not in our own effort, but in response to a God who left his place of privilege, Philippians chapter 2, and humbled himself, taking on human flesh, the creator entering into his creation, and ultimately dying on the cross. You see that as well in, in Mark, in, as in many places. In the gospel, according to Mark, you see this, this, this language used of, the, of, of, the, of the blessed is not the one, that blessed is the one who, who gives. And that if you lay down your life, you'll find it. But if you seek to hold on to, to grasp your own life, you're going to lose it. One uh, man, Paul Miller, talks about the shape of the Christian life being like a J. Okay, if you picture with me a J, like the wetter J. And that in order to, to be exalted, that the way up is actually the way down. That you start here, but that Jesus, again, picture with me, like this is a, a word picture here, that Jesus, right, was in this place and he descended. He, he took on humility, that the way to, to glory is through humility. That Jesus humbled himself even to the point of the cross. And from that place, the most foolish humiliating place the father rose him from the dead 
highly exalting him above all things where he is now seated, where one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Again, young people here, you're about to, wherever you are, you're entering into a place of thinking, how do I climb the ladder? How do I get myself here? Uh, Married people, how do I get out of my wife what I want her to give to me? Just dump yourself out. Pour yourself out. Give yourself away. Single people, how do I find community that, that meets my needs? Give yourself away. Pour yourself out. Again, this guy, Paul Miller, says this. He says, you don't, find loving com- you don't find loving community. You create it through death, death to self. You don't go on a search. You don't try to find a, a, an age-specific, demographic-oriented group that you can be a part of that's going to meet all your needs. Right? Older people, same, same thing. Right? We can all take comfort in knowing we're all going to be uncomfortable together. Amen? And the gospel calls us to give ourselves, to pour ourselves out. And and in the end, you see, it's not fun and it's not easy. The reality here, as we close in verses 36 and 37, is you see what life has looked like with this guy Paul going from one place to another, bonding, connecting, pouring himself out. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. And being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. As we've already talked about this morning, we're in the reality of a very broken world. Some of us are in the midst of very broken relationships. We're continually asking the question, yeah, this gospel, what is it, a type of music? Is it a word we just use on Sunday? This good news, yeah, what does it mean? What does it look like? What is it, how does it really inform my life? Well, hopefully we get a, a clearer picture this morning that it's life-consuming, that, that it's foundation-laying, that whether laughing or crying or weeping, Wherever we are, you get this picture here as this last goodbye. It goes against everything in us, right? I'm going to protect myself from, from sadness, so I'm not going to give of myself too much. I don't want to get too close because maybe I'll get hurt again and again and again. I don't think I have the capacity to keep doing it. And apart from Jesus, I, I agree, you don't. But you see here a picture of Paul, this guy, continually pouring himself out. How does he keep doing it? Because he's so firmly grounded on God's love demonstrated to him in and through the person and work of Jesus. You picture here with tears streaming down his face, weeping, interwoven sadness and loneliness with the hope of eternity, the promise of restoration in and through the person and work of Jesus, the gospel, which awakens and orients and protects and compels God's people. Amen? Well, let's pray and respond to this gospel, this good news. 
Again, Heavenly Father, you are good and you're present. Your word is profitable. And I pray and trust that through your Holy Spirit, even now, right now, you're meeting us where we are. We pray that your gospel would go from the courtroom, from the, from the seminary classroom, from the, from the hypothetical and the intellectual and the theological, Lord, to the gut level. Lord, bring it to our living rooms, to our, to our own hearts, to our relationships, our marriages, our, our work, our fears, our, our questions. I pray that now we would be able to respond to you appropriately and hope and worship and surrender to the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.